Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Treveni Rajagopal, Senior Director, Personal Care Digital Transformation Lead at Unilever. I think I got it. You've got it perfect, Michael. <laughs> hi, hi, Michael. Lovely to be here. Awesome. It's awesome to have you. And it feels like ages ago when we sat down for coffee in Singapore. I mean, you were mentioning this before we started recording, and I was trying to think... Was it last year? Was it just after I finished summer camp? Like when was it? It feels like a while ago, no? See, that's why time is relative because it seems to have moved faster for you. So you probably have had more fun in the time since we met. Uh, I don't know about that. I've had Groundhog Day, so it feels a bit like yesterday. <laughs> it's Groundhog Day is great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all I know is I've been on a plane and uh, I feel like I'm in a different universe. Anyway, before we get into the main part of this conversation, just for our listeners, can we get some of your background for some context? You want the boring bit or the interesting bit? Oh, I definitely want the interesting bit. <laughs> you, can, you can weave the boring bit in there, but I don't think you can get away from the fascinating part, actually. Oh, it's not that fascinating. Oh, come on. Sure. Your other guests have been far more fascinating. Um, what can I say? So I was... Um, the shorthand of it is I was born into advertising. I married into advertising. I went into advertising and now I'm in marketing. Uh, that's <laughs> the kind of shorthand. Um, my dad was um, actually a bit of a market research uh, uh, pioneer. Um, and uh, we had a very interesting childhood because um, he was uh, um, he was a Woodstock era child who never quite grew out of it. And uh, so we grew up with those kind of influences wow. in, in a great city uh, called Bangalore. Um, I met my husband, uh, who, who was my boss, actually, at one point, a very short point of time. <laughs> I won't tell uh, if you don't tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'd like to think that I'm his boss now. Perfect. Uh, uh, and and then I, I did have a, a decent career in, in advertising. I thought I'd continue there throughout, but uh, uh, amazing that I've moved across to the, um, the marketing side of things. Uh, I've been with Pepsi. I've been, uh, and then with Unilever uh, on the marketing side. And when back in advertising, I was essentially in the WPP group. So I was for a short while uh, with the low uh, group and then with the Ogilvy um, uh, group. Is it common to move from advertising into marketing? Do you know what I mean? In a way, it almost feels to me like like moving from sales trading into a hedge fund. Do you know what I mean? Like you were covering all these different hedge funds and then one hedge fund goes, wow, you're really good at this. You need to work for us kind of thing. Does that happen a lot? It, it happens, but I wouldn't say a lot. Okay. Uh, still, the primary kind of uh, recruitment ground for marketing is still campuses. Really? Uh, and, you know, people who've done the kind of like the formal marketing courses, uh, they, in, in countries, in this part of the world, at least, they tend to be engineers who then become marketers yeah. or business administrators. Fair and enough. then those people are so the very, very, very smart. Um when you come in from advertising, you're essentially, you know, in any T-shaped organization, you're on the vertical part of the T. So you've kind of gone fairly deep on one aspect of mark of marketing, which is communication. Um, and then when you come across, you uh, you bring, rather, I brought that speciality of uh, understanding communications really well, but I've had to also go through the 
really challenging and very very interesting journey of understanding business which is something that you don't learn uh, back in advertising no yeah i mean business you really have to learn in business i don't even think you learn that much about business at business school but that's just my own personal bias there's so much to unpack here too this idea of communication right is super important but all also something you've been thinking about or like kind of practicing for a long time is that is that fair like you've been interested in this ability to communicate at scale for a while no absolutely um I think it's it's the power to change ideas, right? It's the power to change ideas, to change people, and to change behaviors. I, you know, that's why communicating is so important. I mean, some of the conversations I have with my son even today, um, and I don't want to get into this rant of oh, kids these days don't read and they don't write, etc. Uh, uh, because fascinatingly, kids these days do. Like my son's vocabulary is excellent because he listens to a lot of YouTube. Can I make a point about this, right? We are slightly different generations and every generation that precedes whatever generation yours is always feels like, oh, this generation is either dumber, lazier, do you know what I mean? Than the current, than your own generation. And you're right, like maybe they don't read as much, but boy, they're listening voraciously to things. Exactly. What's exactly. the difference? Anyway, please go ahead. Yeah, yeah. What's yeah? What's the difference? I mean, and in the 18th century, books were or whatever, 1670, whenever the printer printing press was yep. was done, it was thought by some to be the work of the devil, right? right. So it's it's just the same thing. Same thing. All, all, right? Yeah. So back back to back to the power of communication. I think uh, when as a child. I loved standing on stage and doing elocution and theater and things like that. Awesome. And, it, and you know, it, it's not very much different. It's not though, is it? <laughs> when, uh, what we're doing now is, is a form of theater. Yeah. Uh, what we do in, at work, uh, uh, pitching an idea across to whoever is the stakeholder on the other side is a form of theater. So, so yeah. You know, it's really funny you mention this, and I don't talk about this a lot, but when I was a little kid as well, like I never had any formal training in theater or public speaking or any of that kind of stuff. But I did love taking the microphone at parties when I was a little kid. I'm not talking about 18, 19. I'm talking about like 11 and 12. If there was a video camera there and there was a microphone, it was in my hand. I wanted to talk to people and get it on camera. So I don't think we far Why that far away. Say it again. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good at this. Do you think, though, that the way technology has evolved has changed mm -hmm. the way that we communicate? I mean, you even mentioned with your son, right? And going all the way back to the beginning, you know, to the Gutenberg printing press, it's like we communicate by writing. And at the beginning, that writing has felt like, why are you wasting your time sitting under a tree reading the stuff on that paper? And yet every generation creates a new way to use technology to change the way we communicate with each other. Yeah. What is it like today? And I'm really curious in your current role, how that technology then gets used to communicate the message to then, what did you say? The power to change ideas and to change people's minds. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes makes sense. And I'm, I'm just trying to, so many thoughts coming to my mind. Uh, you're essentially trying to understand what is the shape of communication today, right? And probably even tomorrow. It's just changing so fast. I mean, I look at the, and it's not like a one thing question. It's not like, well, the answer is blue because it doesn't f happen that way, right? But technology is changing so rapidly, but also the media landscape is changing really rapidly too. And you have these things kind of happening at the same time together. So let's just say 
for simplification, in the old days, if you were marketing or selling or advertising, you know, you put an ad on TV, you put an ad in a newspaper, you put an ad, and I'm simplifying, yeah, in a magazine, and maybe a billboard, and you were kind of done. And that yeah. went on for a while. I know that's simplified, right? But now, you know, and billboards didn't change that much over time, and neither did magazines, really. Maybe you change the copy, maybe you change the style, maybe you change the wording. But now the tech is changing at the same time that the message delivery systems are so much is changing at the same time. Like, how does all yeah. that work in your mind? Yeah, I, I want to just uh, go back to your first question. Please. In terms of, let's respond to, uh, the, because the first question you asked is, is a pretty broad question yeah. and different yeah. people will find different perspectives. I think uh, we spoke, we already spoke about um, where you get your information and how you get your information from reading versus like listening to a review on YouTube, et cetera. Yep. Um, I think what's becoming super critical today is, uh, is authenticity, is this uh, concept of uh, what is real. Uh, and yes, we're talking about, uh, we live in a world where um, one country can release uh, a fake video from the the other country's president uh, kind of um, yeah. saying, "Okay, I I, I submit to you," uh, which is which is an, an entirely untrue. Right. Uh, but how does that affect imagination? I think that's that's the question. Uh, today, we are a much more visual and auditory. Uh, uh, we, we respond better to visual and auditory signals. Agreed. So I can imagine my child and his cohort. Their brains are probably, uh, their imagination works in a very different way. And they're probably needing to visualize uh, ideas and concepts that you send to them. So I think the vis visualization of ideas or capturing something that you would have taken probably a paragraph to write right. in, a, in an image has become so. It's the power of the image and the power of the audio burp that has become so important uh, today. And you can express that in, in real life and in, in virtual life. So I think that's, uh, that's the other kind of fragmentation. I want to get to virtual life in a bit because I do think it's really important. And I have my own like thoughts and ideas around what the virtual world is going to look like mm -hmm. and how things are going to change. And I'm really curious about your thoughts on this as well. But I want to get back to this idea about the different way that we use our senses to take in information and drive and drive our imagination. But because uh -huh. again, it's going to change the way we believe in things and change the things that we trust and don't trust, right? In yeah. other words, at some point you have to have a thought framework for what the leader of a specific country is going to say or what some specific product is going to do for you, either one, right? Yeah. And what that means is that you're going to have to get better. Your hearing analysis, your sight analysis, is go and your senses around it are going to have to get better around determining, is that really true or not? Because before, if you read it, like huh? in the New York Times or in some fancy newspaper magazine like The Economist, you would just believe, that's a fact, it must be true. But now mm -hmm. it's harder, no? Of course, it is harder. And Michael, the truth is that people will not make that effort. Let me speak from a brand and marketer point of view. Please. I don't think we can take the luxury of assuming that our consumer is going to go that extra step to do verification, fact-checking and verification. Okay. That's that's not going to happen. So, uh, therefore, and, and we know that our consumer is, uh, the person who buys our products is living in a world where they're receiving tons of messages, which is why I think we've, we've made it into a science and we have to uh, 
uh, and so much of discipline goes into and every single frame of messaging that we send out to a consumer that it is simple to understand and it is meaningful in their lives uh, and even if they uh, listen to the message for anywhere between 10 seconds and 15 seconds they're able to kind of understand what we're trying to tell them so i think being very simple at the same time without you know over uh, doing the injustice of oversimplifying uh is is such a tight rope to kind of walk and yeah, that's I what agree. I feel like we could have this conversation for the next six or seven hours because in a way, you know, you said this, right? Every word is carefully chosen. Every image is carefully chosen. Every message is constructed in a way like, like it's science. Yeah. But if it's scientific, then there must be some hypothesis. There must be some experiment, right? If you're really using the scientific method. But there also must be some data there as well, right? Can you talk a little bit about how data gets used to then build these stories and these images that turns the message or the science into a message of course um i'll try and share what i can and what is probably publicly available but maybe your listeners probably uh, aren't aware um we get uh, uh, companies like us right like unilever procter coca cola etc we've had what half a century worth of communication mass communication behind us yep. so Uh, obviously we have a lot of it, uh, data sitting behind us but you can't take the rules that worked in 1950 to to now yeah? the consumer no. has changed completely um i think however some fundamentals still remain i am surprised every day uh when i get uh, you know bank of insights from our partners let's say google or facebook how some things continue to remain so for example uh the human face continues to remain to be the most uh one of the most arresting uh <laughs> things that that you 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 want to use in my, your community my face is pretty arresting i'll give you that <laughs> quite actively <laughs> so yeah that's why you know that goes then that goes into the entire topic about casting and diversity in casting and things like that right. but the the human the visage the the fact that we're able to communicate so many emotions i mean that hasn't changed for what now we've been as homo sapiens for what 40000 years yeah. um that hasn't changed um certain uh, uh the representation of certain colors uh, and shapes uh they all mean different things certain shapes intuitively mean that they are more effective certain colors intuitively mean that they're more effective um and then simple things like uh, data again and again shows uh i'm getting very very basic th- things that are uh, you know fundamental to what we do um uh, the human beings need to see and hear things at the same thing at the same time and then their their the processing skill is uh, is is faster uh, i know you might have seen a lot of these you know brain games which sort of say half the word and then you expect you to finish the rest of it but when you do those brain games you're probably paying far more attention than you would to a, a marketing message right so our job is to essentially do see and say sing so a lot of these fundamentals if you have in place i think it makes the message more easier for the brain. Yeah, I mean to be fair like if I go like this and say yes it's really confusing yeah. to the brain, right? And you're right. It's not fair to say here's a brain game, look at this word with like six letters in the middle missing and then tell me what it's like that's easy to do. 
But the reality is in your real-time life, you're not playing a game. Your brain is processing things faster than you may consider it to be processing it, but you're right. If it says green and the color's red, it's super confusing to the brain, yeah? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. so. Um, with all this technological change taking place, right, in short, 50 years of data, and I love this idea, shapes, colors, faces. It's so interesting from a data perspective for me. But as tech continues to change, right, how do, how do you keep changing? Like, how do you stay on top of this? We spend a lot of time on some of my other shows talking about digital transformation, right? So you have these big incumbent insurance companies that, again, have had access to data for 50, 60, some of them 100 years, and yet haven't used them a lot over time. And now they've been poked a little bit by some insure techs, or in some cases, fintechs, to say, you know, either join the modern world or don't because the rest of the world is moving super fast. How does that apply to what you do? I think uh, we recognize three or four fundamental principles. So I'm not going to talk about digital, like digitization. Of no, the no, 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 because I, yeah. I don't care uh, about that in a way, yeah. Yeah, so I think there are a couple of fundamental principles, uh, at least which I am talking completely from a personal perspective. Yeah. Uh, the first principle is, the, is is that I am so proud that the brands we work on actually help to democratize technology. We're key, we're, we play a key role in democratizing technology. Uh, and, and let me kind of tell you why. Um, today, on if you go on Instagram, you'll see uh, Mark Zuckerberg has announced uh, some kind of an, um, uh, the, the integration with of AR or VR with Ray-Ban glasses, right? That's at the kind of like the bleeding edge of, edge of technology. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, that's probably something we are not going to kind of adopt uh, right now with with our with our big brands. What we do actually is we help because we have access to billions, not millions, but billions of people, and billions of people use our products every day. I think we play a key role in democratizing. Uh, access to technology. So let me give you one or two very simple examples. Please. Um, you go, it's, there is a person, let's say there's a person in some secondary town, small town in Indonesia or a small town in India, right? And um, they've never used QR code technology ever in their lives because they've never had a reason to, yeah. right? But when a QR code appears on a bar of soap, a pack, package of a bar of soap or a box of toothpaste, a tube of toothpaste, scanning that QR code gives you access to something, gives that person access to something, opens the world something. Suddenly a consumer who's never accessed that particular technology, which we may think is a small thing, opens up a world. They're able to, they're able to kind of realize that, hey, I can open my camera and this access is, this. Can and I drop you for a second? Because this is kind of so cool. I actually just got a chill. We spend so much time, sorry, talking about this in relation to financial products, right? And digital distribution and stuff. And we forget this idea that people brush their teeth every day or wash every day. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking, right? And that to do that, they have to buy a physical product. But you're right. The digital transformation is actually happening right there on that physical thing because they go, what is that thing? And they open their camera, they click on it, and it's just like, where did that magic come from? Right, so you don't need Google Glass to tell people that there's this whole trove of digital information somewhere. Everyone's carrying a cell phone, right, with a, a smartphone. Yeah. And at some point, their niece or their nephew or their son or their daughter is going to go, 
hey, grandma or mom, like, just click on that thing. And I'm like, whoa. And then the exactly. whole life is different, no? Exactly. And and don't get me wrong. I think the hardware does play a very, very important sure. role. I couldn't say what I'm saying now, No. perhaps 10, 15 years ago. No. And maybe 10, 15 years hence, everyone's going to be wearing Ray-Bans with augmented reality. Well, they will. We can talk about that in a second too, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And at that time, then we'll help in the further democratization of access to that. So I think, uh, you know, our brands have played, uh, have played and continue to play a big role in shaping culture. Um, I always say that uh, second to maybe movies, there's movies, there's music, there's literature, and then there's advertising. We are, we are mass and we are actually popular culture. Uh, and sure, we have so many sure. examples. For sure. I mean, that whole first Apple commercial for the um, the I, I'm sorry for the iPod, right, is iconic because you didn't even need to hear it. All you needed to see was the silhouette with the white headphones and thought, oh, my God. And it was cultural, right, because different types of people, you could tell who was who. Like, that was super cool, but it's pop culture, too, because if you were listening to it, there was music in the background. And I'm guessing in every country, in every city, that music was different, yeah? Yeah, yeah. You you are you've given a great example of uh, of Apple, which is at a certain which talks to a certain level of consumer. Go ahead. I wanted to imagine if you go really further down, right down strata, and you are thinking of um, a family, let's yep. say a family in Indonesia, where um, very uh, um, strict kind of traditions and roles, say let's say gender roles are observed, and then you have advertising which shows the warmth of a family, even during a brushing like this, like the picture visual that you have behind you, where the father plays a very active role in the family, where the dentist is a woman wearing a hijab, right? Suddenly you're able to, and that piece of communication is getting seen by millions of people, millions of times over. And you're therefore you're able to kind of influence positively influence social mores. But this is really important too, right? Because the, not the only way, but one of the ways that advertising or marketing is effective is by seeing yourself in a product or seeing yourself in the situation where that product gets used. And to be fair, when I looked at that thing that you're seeing behind me, I thought, okay, I see myself, but who doesn't see themselves in that, right? And I want to dig a little bit deeper on this, if you don't mind, because we do talk a lot about democratization particularly in Southeast Asia, where the access to certain things, whatever they are, is not as prevalent as it is in other parts of the world, yeah. right? And I want to I wanna show you this thing, because this has actually become quite important to me. You see that circle on the map? Yeah. Yeah, there are more people inside that circle than outside that circle. This was, built, this was a map that was shown by the World Economic Forum, I think, back in 2017. And this is the reason why the democratization of things is so important to me. And you're right, whether it's a woman wearing a hajib or a father helping his son brush his teeth, as, it, as you, I don't want to say go down, but as you go through sort of the, the types of people that exist in the world and things get more democratized, it's really important. And I'm curious why it's so important to you. Uh, I think... This is essentially, it comes to this point of behavior change. Yeah. Uh, so if I, I talk about the products that we market, the brands that we market, the powerhouse brands that we market, uh, they're, they're everyday products. And we know that nobody's waking up in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to 
have a bath with uh, life boy or today I want to smell beautiful so I'm going to use lux uh, to have a, have a shower no one's waking up with that intent um but <laughs> I'm so glad that so well, some of you somebody are. is <laughs> um uh but uh as as kind of society progresses um uh, access to more comfortable lives i think to, to lives where people uh, are able to enjoy the standard of living that they're working so hard for i agree for, and uh, we're giving them access to that and i think to your question on why is it so important behavior change is so important is because it, i mean why this is so important is because it's about education um so we're educating people that uh you know what if you shower with uh, this product then you're going to be feeling a bit fresher even as you travel jostle through the crowds in public transport to get to work you're going to feel a bit fresher if you use if you brush your teeth with teeth with this product not just in the morning but remember at night because brushing at night is very important and you don't do that then we're teaching you and finally you need to wash your hands these five times a day are you forgetting the fifth time wash your hands so these kind of behavior changes just help people live better lives i love i love the fact that you said this one of the things that i put in my notes was we talk a lot about financial literacy right but there's this idea yeah. that i just wrote down called product literacy and, absolutely and, and to me the the reason why democratization of all these things to me is so important is just like you said it's about providing comfort in other words if i'm living this air conditioned well traveled clean life and somebody else like you said gets access to it it makes the whole world a better place i think and i, I think that's incontrovertible to be fair you also and you also use the word inclusion which again you know part of the reason why i wanted to talk to you right was to try to make equivalencies between all the other conversations that i have on the financial and insurance products to just yeah. physical products the cpg products that people use people yeah. do need to be included in their in them as well yeah, it's just super, super important. Yeah, and and I think on that, um, in when it comes to inclusion, look, there is so many facets of inclusion and, and diversity and inclusion. And I think depending upon where you live and the culture you're growing up in, uh, one or two may pre take precedence over the other, right? Yeah. In the West, they have very many different issues. In, in our part of the world, Southeast Asia, we have very many different issues. So I think, for example, a brand like uh, one of the brands I work on uh, called Lux yep. is uh, has this um, uh, stands for this amazing, uh, if you can call it inclusion, stands for this amazing philosophy. It basically says it basically says that it recognizes the brand is all about recognizing that yes, while extreme forms of sexism and assault and things like that ha do happen to women. Uh, there's something called casual sexism, which is even more insidious, yeah. which happens on a daily basis, yeah. right? Um, uh, to, to women at home, in the workplace, everywhere. So this brand stands, is trying to kind of promote the message that uh, of giving women the confidence to rise over these casual sexist remarks that they may, they may uh, face. So um that is a form of inclusion in, in in a way right because you're you're elevating and in a sense you're elevating an entire cohort of people who otherwise would have been discriminated against yeah completely can we talk about this virtual world that you that you mentioned earlier i kind of passed over it 
there's all this noise around, you know, NFTs and the metaverse and all this other stuff. Yeah. But I do think in some kind of reality, right? You talked about democratization and I will have huge conversations about metaverse for the masses, right? Yeah. And there needs to be some kind, like you mentioned the QR code, which I think in a way is kind of an on-ramp for technological evolution for people that don't have access to tech. It's part of the democratization process, right? And I think on-ramps are actually really important because you can't just wake up one day, right, and have glasses on that give you access to a whole host of information, right? We used to, jo I used to joke that the smartphone ruined what I call the bar fight, right? Two people standing at the bar going, yeah. no, no, that was definitely Marlon Brando. No, that was, you know, Al Pacino. You're like, well, yeah. just give me one second. I'll just solve that right now before we start punching each other. No, it was Brando kind of thing, right? Yeah. And you're right. And, today. And a bar fight would have been two people who, who you knew each other's names. Whereas, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it wasn't two strangers. They're never yeah. going to have this argument. Yeah. But, but, but to get to the point where everybody's wearing a pair of Ray-Bans that have access to the world's entire catalog of information on it, you have to start somewhere, right? So you go from like the flip phone to the smartphone, Android phones, and you'll get to this point where people have literally have contact lenses in, I believe, that have access to all this information. But there has to be an on-ramp to that. And I think it's the same thing with the metaverse as well, right? Like if we believe that virtual worlds are going to create, again, back to this idea of democratization of just people's communication with other people, yeah. I do think that that's going to happen. And I'm curious if you think about this in the context of the brands and the brand communication and just like what kind of work you can talk about doing as it relates to the metaverse when it comes to your CPG products. Uh I probably think of it at this point in time uh, for half of a day, every day. Do you Not really? Not the whole day yet. Not, Not the whole day yet. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, well, because it's interesting and then every day the narrative changes, right? One Go day ahead. it's the savior of the world and the next day it's crashing economies and things like that. But that's but normal. It, that's the normal state of the world, yeah, by the way. Exactly. Go it's ahead. the cycle, right? Um, I think uh, to, to your question on how do I think of our brands, uh, uh, very difficult, very, very challenging. Because unlike, uh, let's say, a game that my son is buying or um, an app that we download, which is essentially not a tangible product, they're all kind of intangible products. Our products are very much made of atoms and molecules and they have mass. So they live in the real world and I can't get away from that. And my job, our company and our kind of industry is to make soaps and shampoos and toothpastes. And that's what we do. We right. do that very well. Um, so what can we do? What can we do in this world where there is no point in getting someone to go onto Decentraland and start buying virtual toothpaste or virtual deodorants, right? That's just not going to make any difference to my real product sitting on the shelf. So I think at this point in time, and I'm sure things will evolve. Uh, you got to have horses for courses, right? You can't just jump into it because it's cool. Well, it is cool, but you need to do it in the right way. Completely so at this point in time, go ahead. At, at this point in time, I see the the biggest use case for our brands is education and behavior change. So is education. So let me let me give you an example of what I what I really mean. Um, so we spoke about lux. If I'm going to talk about uh, encouraging women to say, hey. Don't worry about all those ridiculous, casually sexist comments. Just, you know, have the confidence to rise over it. There is that happening every day in gaming today. 
right? Uh, 50% of the world's gamers are women. 50%, yeah. including mobile gaming also, but 50% of the world's. And they're getting uh, trolled every day on a daily basis. Well, I mean, Gamergate, so, Gamergate was a thing, right? Sorry, exactly, go ahead. Exactly. So how can I get into that space and talk about, educate people and change behaviors and change attitudes in that space? That's one use case. Um, another use case could be uh, uh, for example, deodorant usage isn't really something that people do very much this side of the world. It's not a habit that, that or behavior that is that is kind of like par for the course. Um, I can teach a whole uh, cohort of young people uh, how to use deodorant in the right way and how to you know uh, make it work to their best advantage in these virtual spaces. So I think there's um, there's a lot of functional product education or category education that I can do in these spaces simply because the people I want to speak to and sell to are spending more time in these spaces and there is a lot of purpose education like what what does my brand stand how can we how can we together make the world a better place I think these are the two types of education that I can do in these uh, through this through web3 is there a way for brands Mm-hmm. And we talked about distribution and digital distribution mm-hmm. to take advantage of Web3 technologies, metaverse, to then create new economic models for people that have been left out up until now mm-hmm. to, because if I'm an avatar in the metaverse, right, even in a simplistic version, not in central land, and, and to be fair, if you go into some of these places, the tech that's there is pretty basic. Like it almost yeah. looks like Atari from 1975 if it even yeah. existed back then. You're yeah. too young to remember that. But anyway, nope. easy. <laughs> <laughs> I would guess you've not played Pong. But anyway, um, and even if you have, it was probably at like your older cousin's house. But the yeah. point is that like once you, can, once you get people there, mm-hmm. you can create an economic model where you don't know who I am. You just know my avatar. And my avatar then, again, getting back to this democratization, then it becomes an equal to somebody else's avatar who lives in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Even if I, even if Michael's living in a small apartment in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. But it also then allows me to understand which products are getting used globally that are great, right? And then to be able to market and sell those. It, it allows me to then change my entire life because I can use what's happening in the metaverse to then say, I can have a completely new business model because what I look like, again, like feeling comfortable with other people is not as important as what I appear to be. And if that's the case, well, then I can do sales and marketing and other things. And I can actually sell things to people based on, I'm educating them too, right? Use this deodorant or try this soap in your real life. And it opens up a whole new economy for people that didn't have access to that before. And I haven't even talked about the immersive aspect of it as well, but I'm curious what you think about that as a possibility. Because the new economic model to me is more important than the cool aspect of, and I always wonder why the metaverse is purple, but it always is. <laughs> yeah, Take a look. That's true. Bluish and purplish. Why? I think Marvel is to blame for that. Maybe. Altogether, yeah. Maybe. But do you think about these new economic models as well, if you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think we're a ways uh, away from that sure. it, uh, from a purely business model, but but 100%, it has to have uh, ROI, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I think of it uh, probably today not as an economic model, but definitely as a new media channel and a new potential um, uh, distribution channel. Yeah. Right? 
And then it becomes, therefore, it becomes an economic model. The, the issue is that it's not scaled. We love scale. Yeah. Uh, and yet, yeah. at this point in time, it's it's just experiments. that. But you've got to do these experiments. Agreed. It's only when you sink your teeth in will you learn. So essentially, uh, the way we look at it is, is as our brands, they do very well. They do very well amongst uh, uh, probably people of my age. But people of my age are going to grow old and die. And then you're going to get a whole bunch of people who slow down. Not that soon, actually. Don't know what a television is. Have no clue. Probably at that time, don't even know what a mobile phone is. And yeah. they're probably in a in a in a three D world. Right. So, it is my job. I often say, Michael. I often say, my job in a sentence is to make icon old brands young. That's my job. Yeah. Uh, because there are younger cohorts of consumers. So, so coming back to your question. Um, I see this, it's not yet a viable economic model simply because it doesn't have scale. But it will become, in, in a decade or so, it will become. Right, and so this we is, prepared for that. And this is why I talked about the on-ramp, right? Because like in a way, you can't drive a car unless you've ridden a tricycle, right? That you understand the movement on wheels, right? But once yeah. you understand that, then you go to a bicycle. Maybe if you're insane, you go to a unicycle, although I don't understand why anybody would do that. But then you get into a car. And you understand speed and momentum and pacing and cadence and stuff like that. It's the same thing for the metaverse. Like at first, you just kind of need an avatar to figure it out. And maybe your avatar goes to a virtual barbershop and gets their haircut, but they're probably not buying virtual shampoo because it doesn't matter. Exactly, yeah. But, but over time, all that stuff changes and I think it gets more immersive, right? Like in the same way you say you spend half your time thinking about this, I'm sitting in front of cameras, microphones, lights. I'm in the metaverse in a way, right? No, I yeah. can't stop thinking about it either. Like, I don't ask you. You still have legs, though. You Say it again? Legs. You still have legs, so you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have legs. But, as you, <laughs> but you say that only because you've met me in person. But I'll, I'll tell you something funny. When I was in Singapore, right, I met a bunch of people that I'd never met before, and they all said the same thing to me universally. And I won't make you guess what it was, but I'll just tell you. They all said, you're shorter than I thought. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the... So to me, it's important for the, the democratization of height. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, but that's another part of the diversity conversation. I think yeah. so. I think so. Um, look, this has been great. I don't think I've missed anything. Is there, Was there any other kind of tech thing or something that you want to talk about? This was awesome and super informative. And you remember when we first started doing this, I said, tell me where I'm wrong, right? Like I had a lot of ideas about where this conversation was going to go and and what the outcomes were going to be. And I think I was wrong on most of it, which means I learned a ton. I really I, mean I, that. I hope so. I hope indeed. No, I think no, you went wrong in anything. Uh, I guess my uh, what I found interesting about this chat was to try and kind of dispel the myth that uh, a 100-year-old or 200-year-old brands, because the brands that I work on, if you add up all their ages, they're probably over 500 year old. Yeah. So 500 years between them. So how how can these brands kind of be keep at pace with modern tech is is I think the myth that I want to dispel that we do, but we do it in the right way and with purpose and intent. Yeah. And uh, we may not, and it's not our business to make virtual glasses. And that's not the business model that we're in. We're no. in the business model of making um, soaps and toothpaste and deodorants. And we'll continue to do a great job of that. 
but we want to reach people who are in in these new uh, in in these new spaces, virtual spaces. I feel like you. I feel like you feel like you're in a space that's filled with fun. Like you don't. You know, a lot of people have this thing called like the Monday dreads, right? Where they're like, "Oh God, I got to go to work on Monday." But it feels to me like what you're doing is so interesting and so exciting, and it's changing so fast. It's got to be a ton of fun to do, no? It, it is a hundred percent, hundred percent fun. Uh, I think idea creation is is uh, so much. Uh, we're really breaking boundaries. There's things that I could have talked about, like uh, for example, telehealth. Uh, what we're doing on uh, uh, driving access to healthcare. Yeah. Uh, uh, a soap driving access to health to doctors is like the most ridiculous thing I've heard of ever, but that's the program I'm driving. A toothpaste driving access to dentists, again, ridiculous. Like how, how is but that possible? But it's not, look, I want to save this for our next episode, right? But but this idea that it's ridiculous that toothpaste drives to dentists actually should should not be so ridiculous, right? Because here's the thing. If you haven't had access to toothpaste before and you start brushing your teeth and your mouth starts feeling better, like as silly as it sounds, we take this for granted maybe, but that feeling you said before, right? Like if you start using Lux and you start feeling cleaner when you're going about your day-to-day life, you start feeling better about yourself. If your teeth feel cleaner, you start feeling better about yourself. You're like, how can I feel even better about my teeth? I need to go see a dentist. And yeah. in healthcare, cleanliness is like one of the top two things you can do to be healthier. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? So if you stay clean, the likelihood of you getting sick yeah. or catching a disease or having allergies is so much lower. So it's not that strange, right? Yeah. But we can have it. We can dig deeper into that in another conversation. And I want to just share something with you. Mm-hmm. I try to take some something that the guest says and make it into the title of the oh, okay. episode. Okay. <laughs> because I think it's neat, right? And I was 100% sure I was going to make it. We, we made it into a science. And then you had to come along this with this thing about making old brands young. Like, can you stop this already? <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think that's the joy in it. I mean, I'm 45. I turned 45 recently. I am nowhere near young. I, I just oh, do not have the generation that I'm talking to. But I think that's what is so exciting. It keeps this job keeps me young because it makes it pushes me to constantly be aware of what's happening in in popular culture. And uh, kind of drive that. Yeah, and I think that's true for both of us. I mean, I'm a generation, I'm a Chinese calendar generation ahead of you. And Mm. (laughs) (laughs) that's a test for people listening, by the way, to know that that's 12 years. But the point is that because I get to have conversations like this with you and because I get to get conversations like people that are innovating all the time, I don't feel like I'm getting older in a way. I feel like I'm getting younger. So maybe I am one of those old brands that's staying young. Anyway, let's yeah. end on let's end on that. Yeah, I, really, yeah. I really want to thank you. Trevenny Rajagopal, Senior Director, Personal Care, Digital Transformation Lead at Unilever. That was awesome. Lovely talking to you, Michael. Thank you.